we, uh, we took, this past weekend, we took about 85 high school students from all around this area, multiple churches coming together, um, all riding up on, on uh, two charter buses up to Miracle Camp um, up in Lawton, Michigan, which is our camp that we're associated with, and had an incredibly powerful weekend, um, incredibly powerful. A number of students giving their lives to Christ for the first time, a number of students breaking free of, of spiritual and physical and emotional bondage. And um, I, Tuesday, I was just reflecting back, and, and we did this exercise up there at camp, and um, we had students write down things that they're fusing into their life. Fuse was the theme for ice camp. And, and things, negative influences that they were fusing into their life, and they were to give them, put them physically up on a cross. And uh, we as student pastors um, from all the churches were given those and, uh, you know, just asked to keep them confidential. And I went through them on Tuesday. Um, I was sitting at the Blend over in Washington and uh, just reflecting on the amount of pain and the pressure um, that our students are going through, middle school and high school. And, and um, I remember talking to Bill Trout, one of my key volunteers, and we were up at Ice Camp together. And, I'm like, and we, we just saw it there. We saw it Saturday night, at, you know, in that, that last service. And we were just reflecting on it. We're like, man, why is there so much pain? And, and, and I've got some ideas, and we're still trying to figure that out, you know. But what, I guess the reason I, I say all this is I want, I want to ask you, just really ask you, pray. Pray for our students. Um, pray for middle school and high school students. Um, you know, seriously, I don't think you have any clue the amount of pressure they're going through. And it doesn't matter whether, what, it, what frustrates me is it doesn't matter even if they're, they come from a good family. Um, I, I thought that was the issue. I thought, well, everybody, every student that's struggling is coming from a broken family. You know, things are dysfunctional at home. No, not the case at all. And there's so many different influences that go into the lives of these students. And uh, it's just breaking my heart and it's breaking the hearts of all of us who work with them. And uh, so as the church, if you would support us as leaders and volunteers in student ministry, but just praying uh, continually for us as we minister to the students. So thank you uh, for that. I need to give a little bit of a, a um, disclaimer. I'm fighting a cold. So I'm curious as I go back and listen to this CD or podcast later uh, what I sound like out there. But uh, I told the guys running sound that if I start making this funny face and you know I stop talking to mute me because I'm about to sneeze. And uh, it'll sound really loud out there. So forgive me if I do um, as we do that. Last year, we, we started this series. We did this series called Unstoppable. And we started looking at the book of Acts, uh, which, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's, it's the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's what happens after Christ has walked upon the earth and, and after Christ has died on the cross and been resurrected from the grave. And uh, we started, we studied Acts 1 through 5, and uh, we said we're going to come back to this at another point in the future. And, and now is that point. Now we are starting that. And so we're going to go for the next four months, literally four months, we're going to go through Acts. We're going to start in Acts 6 today, and we're going to go through all the rest of Acts. Now, at times, we're going to do just a, a few short verses. Like today, we're covering seven verses. And as any good pastor can, I can talk for hours on seven verses. Um, they only give me 30 minutes, though. And next week, we're going to cover like two and a half chapters. And so those readings that we give you each week are very important to do as you prepare for next Sunday. And so please, next Sunday, it should be in your bulletin. Read Acts 6, chapter or verse 8 through 8, I believe 3. Is that what's in the bulletin? Through 8.3. Um, the story of Stephen, which we're going to get introduced to today. But we decided to go with a little bit different um, title for this series than Unstoppable. Uh, roots and Branches. Uh, you can see the trees here. And when you think about roots and branches, you've got the roots that are, are digging down deep and they're pulling nutrients. And there's where, where the tree begins and then it grows and it branches out. You know, as we thought about roots and branches, as I thought about it, I, my first thought was family tree. 
you know, like that Ancestry.com. I clicked on the leaf and I discovered my great-grandfather was a detective who lived next to the Wright brothers and all that good stuff, right? But the question, where did we come from? Our roots, our root system, where did we come from? And where are we going? Where are we branching out to? Uh, now, me, my family heritage personally, my root system, um, we, we are just entrenched in philosophy and spirituality. Uh, we are artists and free spirits, uh, adventurers, and we are teachers. And, and so those things inform who I am today. In fact, let me share some pictures from my family. Uh, this is my brother. Uh, these are his kids. His wife is uh, from Thailand. Um, he is, has a bachelor's degree in philosophy, and we would go back and forth all the time on, on philosophy and religion. We were in college and we were younger, and he's Buddhist. And, and so we have a lot of spiritual conversations in that regard as well. Um, this is my cousin, uh, my first cousin, who is half Japanese, half American. Um, he, is, he got a bachelor's degree from UCLA in philosophy as well. Um, went on to nine years of seminary education to become a Catholic priest. Um, as when he became a priest, he, he took three vows, a vow of um, poverty, a vow of celibacy, and a vow of obedience. And the slang phrase in seminary was, no money, no honey, and always say yes. <laughs> and so I had the privilege last summer of going out to California and seeing him um, ordained in a ministry by the Bishop of California and uh, being a part of that service. It was a really, really cool experience. Um, this is a picture of my uncle. Uh, my uncle is a Buddhist spiritual healer who lives in Australia, and uh, we've had some really interesting... He, he, he claims to be a philosopher, but I tried to philosophize with him one time, and he called my mom. And he got, he got mad at me. I'm like, all right, sorry, we're just going to agree to disagree. And uh, he might be listening to this, you know, on podcast. so hi, Uncle Gene, love you, man. Um, but uh, he, he is definitely a free spirit, and he's an adventurer. And that's where I think I get a lot of my, my desires for adventures and marathons and backpacking and all this stuff that I do. Um, this is a picture of his ride. He rode that around Australia for the last year. He did a one-year solo trip around Australia, just traveling and seeing where he'd go and who he'd encounter and, and seeing the sights. And he, he once took a bike trip across the U.S. He described it as, I left San Diego, went south to, to L.A., or left L.A., went south to San Diego and took a left to Miami. And, uh, I mean, he's just been doing things like this his whole life. Uh, philosophy, spirituality, artists, free spirit. This is a picture of my aunt. My aunt used to be an airline stewardess, um, and she uh, stopped that and became a professional artist. And so my entire life, uh, I've known my aunt. She's been an artist. She's made her living um, doing art. And she works in watercolor and, and oils and all sorts of different things. I have a painting in a, over our fireplace that she made just for me, um, just for our new house uh, here in Germantown Hills. So um, artist. And she teaches art as well. One of her favorite things to do is to offer art classes all around the U.S. And she brings all of these students in, and they, they sit and they spend about five, six days, and she teaches them how to paint. Uh, this is a picture of my uh, sister. Uh, this is one of her students when she taught out in Colorado. My sister has a bachelor's degree in physics and was a physics and chemistry and math teacher and has taught in high schools um, in Illinois and Colorado and Indiana. And, uh, you know, it's just, she and I share the teaching love. And these are my, this is my aunt and my cousin um, out in California. Uh, this is my Catholic priest's mom and sister, um, and uh, they are teachers as well. They have taught in the Catholic school system uh, for decades now. And so all of this is kind of my family heritage, my root system. Uh, we, we embrace philosophy and spirituality, and we're artists, and we're teachers, and we're free spirits, and we're adventurers. And uh, my legacy is what am I going to pour into my kids? 
as I, as I look at Ethan and Morgan. You know, they're my branches. Um, I, I've branched out my family, you know, literally, um, but also, you know, emotionally, phys- or spiritually, um, psychologically. What am I pouring into my kids that's going to go on to the next generation? What are, what are they going to take from me and Karen? And, and what, are their grand, what are their kids, my grandkids, going to have uh, that I pass down from them? Uh, Morgan is very much me. Uh, we have the same personality, the same temper. Um, we, we need food and we need sleep. Um, you know, if she, morning Morgan, woo, do not wake up Morgan in the morning. Um, and, uh, you, you know, she, she does really well in school. I mean, school comes really easy for her and the school came really easy for me. Uh, my son, Ethan, he's, he's more of a homebody, uh, just like Karen. He loves being at home with mom and dad. That's his best place he'd rather be. Um, he, he's kind of a warrior. Um, I used to call him my insurance risk assessor because he knew the dangers of everything that we were engaged in. Um, for him, school is a challenge. And we've had honest conversations about that. Um, I made the mistake. Um, after the first couple days of school, we were talking at home one night, and I was saying to Morgan, I'm like, man, you know, you're so smart. Like, school just comes so easy for you. I think you could skip first grade and go straight to second grade. And Ethan looks at me and goes, how come you never tell me that I'm smart? Wow. And we had an honest conversation about that. And I said, buddy, school will always be a challenge for you. School was a challenge for mom. And she worked really, really hard to get good grades. But, but I would aggravate her in college to no end. She would study for hours and hours and hours for final exams and get C's. I would study for 45 minutes and get A's. And I'm like, buddy, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's, it's how you are. You can get good grades, but you're going to have to work really, really hard. And he's just like Karen. And, and one of the legacies that I have, our root system in my family, unfortunately, is divorce. Uh, my parents are divorced. When I was in senior, a junior in high school, they divorced. Um, my dad has been divorced the second time after that. He's on his third marriage. Both of my sisters are divorced. My aunt, the artist, is divorced. My uncle, this Buddhist spiritual healer, has been divorced two times, three. I don't know how many wives he's had. Um, I think three. I think three. Um, my grandparents, my mom's um, mom was my grandfather's second marriage. And so divorce is this legacy in our family, and it's one of those negative traits that I don't want to pass on to my kids. I don't want them to ever feel the pain of divorce between mom and me. So that's my personal family heritage, my roots and my branches. We also have a spiritual heritage. I remember when I was involved in campus ministry in college, I'd, I'd become a Christian in college, and, and I remember our campus minister talking about, he wanted to know what it, who his roots and who his branches were. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And in the roots, you know, who is it that came before him that, that poured into him spiritually and made him who he is? And then his branches, who he has then poured into. Uh, for me, as I think about my spiritual root system, I think of a, a family back home called the Vanderhoof family who just embraced me and took me to church when my family didn't take me to church. I think of my campus pastor, Roger Songer, and uh, my previous uh, pastor up in Chicago who became my boss, Dan Fields, and, and the amount of scripture that he poured into me. And I think of Lauren Trethaway, who's been my mentor for almost a decade now, and uh, just teaching me leadership and, and biblical stuff, and just people that have poured into me. And now I have an opportunity as a pastor to pour into you and, and to all of us in this church, in this community. Uh, when we think about this church, we have a spiritual root system as well. I mean, we stand, and, and knowing I was preaching this today, I was sitting I was in my kitchen having coffee this morning, and I'm looking at the sunrise, and just thinking about the centuries of church history that we stand upon. I mean, the, the number of people who went before us to get us to this point today where Great Oaks Community Church could stand on Sunday, February 12th and worship God. 
I mean, how many people paid the, the ultimate sacrifice? How many people um, paved the way for us throughout church history to be where we are today? It's something I think we take for granted. I mean, we stand on, on the shoulders of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. We stand on the shoulder of Jesus Christ, on the shoulders of the early apostles uh, that we see in the book of Acts. We stand on, on the shoulders of the Catholic Church and the Protestant Reformation. We stand on, on centuries of church, early church fathers in church history. Uh, we stand, literally, Great Oaks, on the shoulders of Grace Church in Morton, who planted us as a church. Uh, that is our spiritual root system, our, um, our roots. And we also have a legacy as a church. What is God calling us to do? Uh, through the ministries of the church, through, through personal evangelism, uh, through church planting in the future. I mean, you need to know that as leadership, we are praying hard about planting a church in the future. And we don't know where that's going to be exactly. We don't know when that's going to be. But we know that that's something that God is calling us to. And so one day, somebody's going to look, somebody's going to gather on a, on a Sunday morning and stand on a stage and say, we owe our spiritual heritage to Great Oaks Community Church in Germantown Hills because we poured into them. And so when we talk about roots and branches, we, we're talking about where we've been, but also where we're going, digging deep and branching out. And so if you would, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1. And what I want to do before I get to Acts chapter 6 today is just really quickly recap kind of where we've been as a church in the book of Acts, where we've been. So if you have your Bibles, go and turn to Acts 1. If you don't have a Bible, if you forget it, we always have Bibles in the back back here. Feel free to get up and grab that and, uh, and follow along as we go. I want to just hit some highlights in, uh, in Acts chapters 1 through 5. Um, this is right after Jesus has um, risen from the grave. And uh, scripture tells us that he appeared for about 40 days uh, to the apostles and to many other people. Um, in fact, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, uh, we see these words. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Can we just pause and consider that for a minute? The weight of that verse. Because what makes the Jesus of Christianity is unique was the fact that he rose from the dead, that, he, that death had no hold on him. I mean, other religions, Islam, Judaism, all claim Jesus as, as a, a wise man, a prophet, a teacher. Many other people outside of, of Christianity and, and Roman civilization in the day looked at Jesus and said, yeah, he was, he was a great man, he was a teacher, he was a moral person. But it's the resurrection that makes him stand out for us. And so as, as people go and they say, well, I'm just not sure he rose from the dead. Well, there's about you know, the apostles and a whole bunch of people that for 40 days he hung out with, that he talked with, that he interacted with, that he ate with, people that, that he did life with once again. And, and just, I mean, sometimes I think we read scripture and we go, okay, Jesus rose from the dead. He hung out for 40 days and, and then he ascended to heaven. Okay, first of all, let's unpack that. He rose from the dead. That, that's pretty significant. He hung out for 40 days. You know, it's not like he just went straight up to heaven, like we think, and then he did go to heaven. He ascended. I mean, later in Acts chapter 1, uh, he ascends into heaven in front of these guys. I mean, these are some pretty significant things for us as followers of Christ. In Acts 1, we see as well, he tells the people to, to hang out in Jerusalem and that you're going to be my witnesses to all of the world, to wait for the Holy Spirit. And then uh, they have a leadership uh, vacuum and void, and so they choose Matthias to replace Judas. Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, which is the 50th day after Passover. And we see the apostles speak in, in foreign languages, tongues that, that they had never known before in front of this crowd of people from all around the world. 
And these people are like stunned. And, and Peter steps up, you know, Peter, the person who denied Christ three times, steps up and just boldly proclaims who Christ is. And he doesn't hold back. I mean, he pointing his fingers. He says, you, you're the ones that crucified him. You're the ones that took Jesus' cross. You're the ones, you, 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 you. In Acts 2.38, uh, the people are, are cut to the heart in verse 37. In Acts 2.38, uh, they say, you know, what do we need to do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people were added to the early church. And then we see this beautiful portrait of the early church in Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the temple and, and they heal a crippled beggar who's, who's begging outside the gate beautiful. And, and we remember we taught on that and, and it, was, it was, you know, he wanted silver or gold and, and Peter says, silver or gold I have not, what I give you, what I have I give you in the name of Christ, stand up and walk. And this guy who'd been begging out there for most of his adult life stood up and walked into the temple and all the people knew who he was and they were astonished that here was this man who was, who was previously been begging and crippled and now healed. And so they gather around Peter and, and once again Peter preaches to the crowd. Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John, they're arrested. Uh, they're presented before the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders of the day. And they're, they're called to give an account by, by whose name and what power they did this. And they, they preach to the leaders about Jesus. And in Acts 4.12, we see this. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. And they did not back down in front of the religious leaders of the day to say Jesus is the one. And it says in Acts 4 that the believers prayed such powerful prayers that God literally shook the building where they were in. And believers shared their possessions. And this is the first time we meet Barnabas, who we're going to learn about later in Acts as well. Uh, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, the early church, they're, you know, people are coming and giving um, property they, they're selling, they're giving money, they're giving all this stuff. And Ananias and Sapphira come in and, and they lie uh, to God about how much they want, needed to give or, or how much the land was sold for. And they hold back some of the, the sale, which wasn't wrong. It was their land. They could have done it. But the fact they lied to God about it and God strikes them down dead. Uh, Acts 5 tells us the apostles uh, spread out and healed many people, even that the Peter's shadow as he walked. Uh, Peter would be walking along the road and his shadow would fall on somebody who was ill and sick and, and dying. And just his shadow, the mere presence of Peter would heal people. And we read things like that. We're like, oh, okay, Peter Shadow healed people. No, okay, let's just sit there for a minute, okay? Let's just pause as we read Scripture every now and again to go, okay, I'm walking along, I'm Peter, and there's a guy over here who's never walked, and my shadow, I don't even say anything to him. I don't even look at him. I don't even respond to him. But there's such power emanating through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, that his shadow heals people, okay? Let's pause and think about that for a second, right? I mean, think about what we're reading when we read Scripture, the apostles, uh, they were so vocal that they were, reg- they were arrested by the Sadducees and they were put in jail. And an angel of the Lord um, went into the jail and released them. Okay, let's pause there for a second, right? I mean, you're in jail. You don't really, all, it's not every day that an angel appears and lets you out. And what do you, you know, if I'm in jail and then an angel comes and says, hey, here's your get out of jail free card, um, I'm booking it out of there, right? I'm getting away from these people arresting me. What do they do? Peter and John, they go right back out in the, in the area where they were preaching. They preach more. And the Sadducees come and they arrest him again. I'm like, didn't you learn? You got out of jail, right? Go somewhere else where they're not going to arrest you. But they don't. They, they go and, and they're found again. And they're brought before the religious leaders today. The and they're like, what are we going to do with these guys? And they say, you know, you got to stop preaching in the name of Christ. And they say, we're not going to do it. I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're unstoppable. And one of the leaders says to the, his fellow uh, religious leaders today, says to his fellow people, says, listen, guys, 538 and 39, 
if their purpose or the activities of human origin, it's going to fail. And he goes on and he cites somebody historically who, who mounted an insurrection against the nation. And, and it was just you know, human origin. That, that, resurrect, that insurrection was put down. And he says, but if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. If what they're doing is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And, and that's why we chose the, the word unstoppable for the last series as we went through Acts 1 through 5. Because if what we do as a church, as Great Oaks Community Church, and what we do as individuals who are passionate followers of Christ, if what we do is of origin from God, then nothing will stop us. If we go on our own efforts, if we go on, I think this is good, I think this is what we're supposed to be doing, at some point sooner or later, God's going to go, I'm not really in that, you know, go for it, and that's going to fail. But if we bow ourselves before God through prayer and through fasting and, and through seeking the will of God as a church and as individuals, and what God calls us to do, it will be huge, more than we, we could ever even think we could do. You know how you have a God vision? When you look at it and you go, there's no way we can do that. Exactly. Because as soon as you say that, you invite God into it. And you say, God, the only way this is going to get done is if you do this. So church planting, whew, I have no idea how that's going to work. And I'm so excited about that because that means we've got to depend on God for that. I have no idea how some of the things that, that we're planning for middle school ministry are going to come to fruition, but God has given us a vision in middle school and, and we're going to see incredible things come to fruition because we're depending on God in that. And so pray for us as leaders. Pray for yourself as, as followers of Christ. What is it God is calling you to do? The apostles, um, the, the, church, the religious leaders, they didn't know what to do with them, so they just flogged them. And we can read that and we go, okay, they got flogged. No, 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 hold on. Let's pause there. Let's, you know, the apostles had their shirts stripped off of them, probably a cat of nine tails, which is a, a, a weapon, a tool of torture that had these seven leather straps on it with pieces of bone or, or um, metal in the end of it, and it was ripping out their flesh. I mean, they, they were arrested and they were flogged, and then they were released because they didn't know what else to do with them. And what do we see in Acts 5? This is incredible. The apostles rejoice at being flogged. They walk out of there after going through this whole torturous experience and going, praise God, we were counted worthy to be, to be tortured like Christ was. I'm like, okay, that doesn't compute with me, right? But there are followers of Christ even today all around the world who are going through this. We, we live in such an incredible place uh, that we have this religious freedom that we do. We have no fear of persecution no fear of being arrested or beaten or tortured. But there are people today who are being arrested and tortured and beaten in the name of Christ. And we have to pray for them. We have to support them in whatever ways we can. So that's Acts 1 through 5. Now let's look at Acts 6, 1 through 7. Acts 1 through 5 is, is where we've been. Acts 6, 1 through 7 is where we're going. Uh, we see the early church, they're growing, they're expanding. Um, and as churches grow, as organization, organizations grow, they always come into some sort of problem, right? Something's not working right. We've got to figure out um, what it is. And so we see in Acts 6, verse 1, um, and I think I've got a little bit different translation of what's on the screen, so I'm going to read from the screen. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the church was growing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, uh, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Um, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, This proposal pleased the entire group, the whole group. Uh, They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Uh, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Seven small verses, and if you wanted to, I'd go for hours on these seven verses. It's, it's a gift or a curse that we preachers have. Um, and so what I'm, I'm going to try and like piece this down for us um, as we go, and just take it section by section. So we see in verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Notice that they're all Jews, right? And it's, it's not the Gentiles, it's not the people of the other nations, but, but there's kind of two groups of Jews here. There's, there's those who were Hebraic Jews who had grown up um, in, a, in, a, in a Jewish family, and those who were Grecian Jews, people that, that had lived in other parts of the world. And, and some scriptures, like our, my version here, I believe it's TNIB, uh, says Hellenistic Jews. They had some Greek influence in them. Uh, they weren't necessarily Hebraic in origin, but they had some Greek influence in them. And, and so they were, they were complaining because their widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food, right? Uh, One of the things that we see that's beautiful about the early church is that they took care of those people who were neglected by society. Roman culture in that day, if you were were sick, infirm, if you were elderly, if you were were handicapped in any way, they would just cast you off. They didn't really care. They didn't take care of you. What was stood out about the early church was their love and their care for those who who were neglected by society. In fact, you can read in, in Roman writing about how people were observing the Christians. They're like, they take care of everybody. Like, it was just amazing, this, 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 this one little thing of just taking care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. It made Christianity stand out from every other religion and every other culture in that day. And people began to take notice, and, and people became, became, be, started to, to come to Christ and become a Christian because of what they saw them do for those who couldn't take care of themselves. And it's one thing that I see us doing as a church really well, and we're expanding that more and more and more. I mean, one of the things that, that when we see a need in our community, oftentimes Great Oaks is one of those churches that will jump on it. I mean, we do the, the Easter baskets, we do the Thanksgiving meals, we do the Christmas things. Um, we have individuals who, who are connected with individuals in the community, and whole groups, small groups come around this family and just love on this family. Uh, and it's one of the things that I, I think we do well, and I think we can, can always continue to improve on. Uh, James writes, when de- defining religion, he says this in 127, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. You know, one of the, the, the greatest, or not greatest, one of the worst things we could do as a church is we gather here on Sunday morning and we praise God and we worship and we, we study scripture and, and we go, man, God has just incredibly blessed us. And we walk out of here with closed fists, holding on to our time and money and talents and energy. And we don't bless anybody else. God has blessed us with incredible resources, incredible gifts in this church, and he's calling us to go out into the community and around the world to bless other people, and it's something that I think we do pretty well, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do through us. Uh, so then we have this issue in the early church, and it says that the, the Grecian Jews were being overlooked in the food distribution, so, so one group wasn't getting the food that they were supposed to be getting. And so they come to the church leaders and say, hey, we got a problem here. Uh, what are you going to do about it? 
And then, you know, that's oftentimes the way that we as pastors get approached. Hey, there's an issue in the church. What are you going to do about it? And we just take a cue from Acts. We go, I don't know. What are you going to do about it? And we bring you into the pro- we bring you into the solution of the problem. And this is what the, the apostles did. Uh, they said, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, if you have a leadership bias or you have a leadership issue or you, you, have, you, know, you don't like leaders for whatever reason, you can read this in a whole different light than what it's intended. Because you can read this and go, man, those apostles, they weren't servants. They weren't willing to do anything. I mean, they, they just said, we're not, you know, it's not, we, we can't wait on tables. Like, that's beneath us. That's not what they're saying at all. In fact, we see in Scripture that, that God has gifted everybody individually, gifted everybody differently, and that in the church, God calls certain people to certain roles. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. We know in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 that uh, the, the picture of the human body and spiritual gifts and, and that everybody's gifted in different ways. And when we all come together and we serve in our unique fashion, that the church grows and matures and, and the, the vision of God is accomplished. And so what the apostles were saying is, listen, this, this is what we need to be focusing on right now. And, and it's not that that's less important, but this is where we, we're supposed to be focused right now. And so let's, here's an idea, let's find some people and have them use their giftedness to take care of this need in the church. And so the scripture tells us they chose seven men. Uh, here's an interesting thing that I learned this past week. As we look at these seven men, verse 5 says, This proposal pleased the whole group, which is something to note there. Nobody went, well, that's wrong. You're supposed to be waiting on table. No, everybody in the group said, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you guys need to be focused on prayer and study the word. And, and yeah, we can find some people in the church to take care of this need. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, so it says they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Tim, and Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Here's what's interesting about these seven men. They're all Greek men. Who was being overlooked in the food distribution, the Greek widows. And so the church leaders said, you know what, to make sure that there's no preferential treatment, no bias in our food distribution, we have the Greek women are being overlooked, let's make sure we put Greek men in charge to make sure that their widows are being taken care of. Do you see the wisdom of these early church leaders? I took a cue from this years ago. Uh, when I was up in Chicago, I was executive pastor and teaching pastor at a church. Uh, we let go of a, a student pastor who is dearly loved in the church, uh, loved by everybody, and, and was a great man of God, uh, moral character, integrity, all of that. He just wasn't doing the job we were asked him to do. He, he, just, he didn't have the giftness, and the church was growing, and, and it was kind of outgrowing him. So we went through all this whole process for months of, of probationary employment, trying to train him up and bring him into this, and well, finally we just let him go. And we lost 80 families in the church over this guy. And it just ripped our hearts out. And, and then I was given the task to hire the next student pastor. And I was like, <laughs> does this mean people that are mad at us because we just made the decision and now I'm the one that has to you know, figure out a way to work through this? Well, there, ended up, there, were, there were two women in the church who were very involved in student ministry, very devoted to this, per, this previous student pastor, loved this guy, and they were also very vocal in the church. They were, they were women of influence in the church. And I said, you know what, if, if this next student pastor 
is going to get buy-in from the church, these two women in particular have to support him. And so I knew it was going to be a challenge, and I knew it was going to take longer to, to go through the hiring process, but I put those two women on my search team with me because I knew that I needed their support to support the next student pastor. And it did. It was one of the longest search processes we ever went through. We had to go through a lot of healing together as a search team first. But we eventually hired an incredible guy, and they gave him their full support. If you're a business leader in the church, if you're a leader of any sort, don't forget this book when it comes to leadership training. There's some incredible things you can learn in here that you can put in your business context. What else do we know, though, about these seven men? We know they're Greek. Uh, We only see two of them in the rest of Scripture. Uh, Stephen, who we're going to encounter next week, who became the first martyr of the church. We're going to learn his story next Sunday. Uh, And Philip, who we see in Acts chapter 8, and then again later in the book of Acts. Well, we know that Philip went on to become uh, what was called the evangelist of Caesarea. He lived there for 25 years, and then he was martyred as well. Uh, Procurus church tradition holds it that he became the bishop in Turkey, and he was martyred for his faith. Nicanor uh, was martyred for his faith. Timon became the bishop in Greece and was martyred by fire, burned in the fire. Parmenas became a bishop in Asia Minor, and he was martyred for his faith. Nicholas is interesting. Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism, which meant that he was a Greek man who converted as an adult to Judaism, which meant he had to go through all of that process of becoming a Jew. Uh, So he underwent circumcision as an adult. He was baptized into Judaism. He made sacrifices. But he still had this kind of liberal Greek influence in his history, his spiritual heritage, his root system. And unfortunately, some of his followers later on took his teachings and kind of warped it and twisted it and turned it and turned it into into what was called Gnostic teaching. And in Revelation, Jesus actually condemns Nicholas's followers. In Revelation 2.6, you can look this up later, but he, he says, I detest the Nicolaitans those people who who took the teaching of Nicholas and warped them. But here we have seven Greek men. Six of them are martyred for their faith. Six are killed because they proclaimed Christ, because they stepped into a role of leadership and influence in the church. Of course, they didn't know that at that point. They just thought they were serving food. We'll come back to that here in a minute. So we go on. It says the, in verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so the leaders go through this commissioning service. The seven men begin their work. Uh, there's no longer an obstacle for the church to work, and so the church begins to grow. Healthy organisms grow. If we remove the obstacles to growth, growth occurs naturally. And so as leaders, we're, one of our jobs, we're tasked to make sure as in church that we look at what are obstacles to growth. We eliminate them, and we make sure that a healthy church can continue to grow. It says the number of disciples grew rapidly. And there's one little phrase in verse 7. It says a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And if you don't know church, or if you don't know context of Scripture, you can go, oh, okay, a large number of priests. Well, these were men who their entire life revolved around the temple and serving and and making sacrifices to God, living by the Old Testament uh, Levitical law. And it says that they became obedient to the faith. They accepted Christ, which meant the sacrifices were no longer required because Christ paid that sacrifice. These were men who had to, many of them, walk away from how they made a living. 
how they provided for their families. Everything they knew, they had to walk away from. It's incredibly significant for us today. So as we look at this, and as I close this morning, what, what does all this mean for us as a church? Well, it means that we have church structure, leadership structure. We, we have an organizational structure. It means that, that, that we depend heavily on you for ministering the church. Uh, we have four paid pastors, four professional Christians, right, who we just happen to be Christians who work for the church. There's nothing special or unique about us. First Peter says, priesthood of all believers. And so we turn to you guys. When we, ha- when we sense a calling from God and we say, you know, God wants us to go uh, impact in the Basque region of Spain, um, we haven't gone as pastors. We sent people from the church. God is giving us a vision for, for feeding families in the community. Uh, pastors didn't lead that charge. It was you. Uh, we, we have a vision for, for taking middle school st- uh, students on missions trips. I'm not leading that. Uh, we've got a couple that volunteered and step up into that. And so we're going to turn to you. If this church is to grow and we're to do all that God has called us to do, then you have to be involved and we have to turn to you and we have to give you incredible amounts of responsibility. And we, st- we try to do that more and more. And, and we need your help. Uh, here in a couple of weeks on February 26th, and you were given this as you came in, we're going to have a volunteer expo. We've taken all of our ministries and lumped it into kind of seven different categories in the church. And in that is, is literally probably a hundred more uh, volunteer opportunities, ways that you can join and make a difference for God and make an eternal difference in somebody's life. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to have the, the back of this room is just filled up with tables of all of our ministries. And you'll be able to, to talk with different people in different ministries and, and figure out uh, how you can get involved and engage and begin to serve in, in your unique way, just as these seven men did. But not only for us as a church, there's also a, a personal application here. Because we, we look at these seven men, six of the seven were martyred for their faith. We look at the priests who became obedient to the faith and, and gave up their entire way of life. And my question that I, I got to ask is, what is your faith costing you? What is my faith costing me? If our faith doesn't cost us something... Maybe it's reputation, maybe it's friends, money, time. If our faith is not costing us anything, I have to ask you, are you as devoted as you should be? Am I devoted as I should be? Our faith should cost us something. Following Christ should be uncomfortable. If we're comfortable in our Christianity, I don't know that we've embraced Christianity as we should, as we see it defined and described in Scripture. And so that would be my personal challenge for you and for me. As we look at these six men, as we look at these priests, what is our faith costing us? Let me pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.